Dear friends, we live in a world of opposing forces. It kind of reminds me of physics and Newton's third law of motion. Does anyone know uh, Newton's third law of motion? Uh, here it is uh, for those who forgot science. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. If you're a Star Wars fan, it means that there is the light side of the force and the dark side stay in the light Luke. If you're a sports fan, it means that there are rivalries and there's competition for who to be on the top. And I don't know about you, but I, I really love some sports rivalries. In fact, um, I was watching the pregame between Army and Navy. Have you heard of this rivalry? And uh, one of the best things I saw all year was Baby Yoda. Um, anyone else see Baby Yoda this year? I, I, I don't even, I haven't even watched that show, but I, I've seen Baby Yoda. And then following that up, uh, one of the best signs I saw taunting another team was what Navy did. That army hates Baby Yoda. And if you can see it there, there's a Navy symbol, right? But for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. And so army had their own. I'm not sure quite as clever. I think this was a knock on, like, you know, that they're based in Chicago as a training center, but they put ketchup on their hot dog, right? Lutherans have some fun uh, poking fun at one another. I remember at seminary, we'd go to this basketball tournament uh, with the Missouri Synod, and Missouri Synod had two seminaries. Uh, one of them was in Fort Wayne, which was known to be a little bit more conservative. Uh, one of them was in St. Louis, which was known to be a little bit more liberal, at least for a time. And so it was really funny, it was at Fort Wayne, and whenever Fort Wayne would, would score a, a basket, uh, the band would play, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. So a mighty four, like very staunch, like, ha, 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 here we are. And every time that St. Louis would score, they would sing this light and airy song called Shine, Jesus, Shine. And I thought, this is some good taunting. This is wonderful, right? Because for every action, there is an equal and there is an opposite reaction. And that's true of life. Uh, when you go to work, there is some employees that you really get along with, and for every one of their actions, there is an equal and there is an opposite reaction from an employee that maybe you don't like. Uh, it's true if, if you're a student. I, I know there's some students here. Uh, for every class and teacher that you love, there is a class and a, a teacher that you don't love. <laughs> um, in traffic, for every good driver, no, there's just bad drivers. I'm sorry. That one doesn't. They're all bad. <laughs> Well, we've come to talk about some spiritual things, and um, Christmas Eve was phenomenal because on Christmas Eve, we, we got to hear that hope has come into this world, and that hope has a name Jesus, and that Jesus breaks every darkness and every bit of pain and sorrow because he has won the war forever, and we live in victory because of him. There, there's no better message than the message of Jesus and the hope that, that light broke the darkness. But as Jesus comes into this world, he comes into a fray that is hostile. And what we're going to see is that the world hates this hope, and it hates this light. And, and though light exists, the darkness wants to try to overcome it. And that's what we're going to hear when it comes to Herod and, and what he plans to do versus this newborn baby, King Jesus. And spiritually, when it comes to our own lives, what, what maybe we need to be real with is that if you've ever wanted to be a light, if you've ever wanted to shine brightly for Jesus, you need to know that there is opposition to the good we want to do for the Lord. If you've ever dug in and say, well, today I'm serving and today I'm going to be a light and today I'm going to be positive, you probably know what it is like to face opposition. 
And really it comes in three forms. There is what some refer to as the unholy trinity of the devil, the world, and our sinful flesh that we're never done with. Uh, let me first uh, talk about the devil. We do believe that there is a real spiritual world. We need to be careful what spirits we're listening to and what we're watching, what we're filling our minds with, uh, because there is an adversary. And about the devil, he's described this way. He says, he's Satan who leads the whole world astray. Now, that is his mission statement, and, and I'd ask you, how well is he doing at his mission? of leading the whole world astray. This past week I was reading an article about Gen Z, uh, 15 to 25-year-olds. And Gen Z is now breaking the mold of being even less religious than millennials were, having even less of a biblical worldview or, or less of an allegiance to, to seeing Jesus on a regular basis. How's the devil doing? I, I think, unfortunately, he's doing a little too well. Uh, we also live in the world, and, and what that means is you're going to hear different ideologies from TV, from your friends, from popular opinion that are going to grind against almost completely opposite of what God has to say. About the world, uh, take this passage in 1 John. For everything in the world, the lust of flesh, the lust of eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. Do, do you know any friends or neighbors who are just filled with, with pride and going after whether it be greed or sexual immorality? This is the world we live in. And maybe we can relate to it as well. We're, we're, we have the same temptations, right? That's the world. But finally, and probably most dangerous, and maybe we don't consider and give enough credit to, is ourselves. That in each one of us is a sinful nature. We are natural-born rebels because of it that want to do the opposite of what God has for us. In fact, look at this passage. It says, For from the flesh our sinful nature, it desires what is contrary to the spirit, the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh, they're in conflict with each other so that you do not do whatever you want. There's opposition to doing good, isn't there? And here I'm reminded of that childhood song, This Little Light of Mine. Do you remember singing this song, anyone? I remember singing This Little Mine, and, and, and when I sang it, it was like cheerful, and, and it was like positive, and it even seemed easy, Right? This little light of mine all around the neighborhood. That's what I'm going to do. This little light of mine, let the devil snuff it out? No way. And hide it under a bushel? Well, no. And as a kid, you, you sing it loud and proud, and you're like, I'm going to do that really easy. But then somewhere along the way, you come to the neighborhood, and you meet a neighbor who doesn't like your light, and kind of frowns at you, and maybe even curses and swears or slams the door. And now you're not sure if you want to go at least all the whole neighborhood. Maybe I'll just go here. And then you might have a season with the devil, and he brings so much doubt and confusion into your life over the chaos of this world, where, to be honest, it, and maybe only the Spirit would know, but it does seem like it was snuffed out for a time. Because he brought every wave of teaching that wasn't Jesus, and, and he led you to, to be in a very dark spot. And then ourselves, hiding under a bushel, well, well, sometimes I do because I'm just so exhausted trying. And it's so hard. I carry around this bag of maggots that Luther said, and it's so hard to get this bag of maggots to do anything good. That's vivid imagery, isn't it? But it's so hard to do good. And so this little light of mine, I, I think I'm going to let it shine. But it's hard. Well, Jesus knew something about this. And Jesus knows all about the opposition and all about the fight. 
And the story of our Savior is he came to fight and win for us so you wouldn't have to. And how awesome is this? But we're going to see that Jesus knew all about the opposition. We're going to get into Matthew uh, chapter 2. Uh, so we're going to learn about Herod. And, and when Herod knows that there is another king, at least so-called, uh, he, he chooses to punish the whole region uh, by taking out any child two years and under. And, and historically, we, we know this as the massacre of the innocents. That hot off of Christmas Eve is this horrible story, the massacre of the innocents. I invite you to follow along. Um, here we're going to read the whole thing. So when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, take the child and his mother, and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and left for Egypt, where they stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said to the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. But when Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all boys in Bethlehem in its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up and take the child and his mother. Go to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea, in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, that he would be called a Nazarene. This is the word of God, the world raging against this baby, the massacre of the innocents. Um, but in spite of all of this, um, could you turn to your neighbor and tell them, you are a light? Could you tell them, you are a light? You are. By the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it by yourself. We rely on the power of the Spirit who works through the word. So let's talk about the word. A bit of my background was language study. Uh, to be a pastor uh, was a lot of Greek and Hebrew and also Latin. In, in fact, back in the day, I had four college semesters of Latin. Um, and I came across a, a Latin phrase that uh, maybe you've seen before. Um, it is, audaces fortuna juviat. And does anyone know what this means? Any people study Latin? It means that fortune favors the bold. Uh, audacious, right? Fortune, favor right? Fortune favors the bold. Can we talk about that principle a little bit? I was also reading a TED Talk, and uh, the, the name of the TED Talk was The Secret of Getting Anything You Want. And I'm like, okay, what, what is this secret? Um, that, that sounds like it's overselling something, right? The Secret of Getting Anything You Want. And it was all about um, a, a person's boldness. The author went on to say how she was bold enough to try to get an interview with Keanu Reeves by like stalking him uh, where he was in her town and like finally getting an interview so that she could maybe make it famous by putting this video in an interview. Uh, fortune favors the bold. That's, that's what she learned. Uh, she also advised that when you go to a restaurant, uh, you should order what's not on the menu. 
because that's a practice of boldness. You know, see if they have burgers and make your own thing. Uh, she admitted that it won't make your server happy, but at least it'll practice your own personal boldness. Well, as we consider getting whatever we want and fortune favor the, favoring the bold, let me ask you, no matter how bold you are, will you always get what you want? Let's talk about children. Have you ever seen a child being very bold throwing a temper tantrum? Right? And they're in the middle of the grocery store, and they're flailing. Ah! And I mean, they're on their like five minutes of sobbing, and are they getting what they want? No. And we're not going to reward that behavior anyway. Right? Or maybe it was Christmas, and, and you had a child. They came up to you, and they said very boldly, I want this for Christmas. Did you get it? Not always. Can't buy you a Tesla. I'm sorry. You're 10. Right? So it doesn't matter sometimes how bold you are. You cannot get what you want. And what I love about Scripture is Scripture reveals what happens when we don't get what we want. There's this passage from James that tells us what's the result. It says you desire, you want stuff, but you do not have. You know what the result is? You kill. Well, what else does it say? You covet, but you cannot get what you want. So quarrel and fight. And doesn't this remind you of Herod? So as we turn our lens to Scripture, uh, we see Herod uh, hearing about a king. And first the Magi come to visit him, wondering about this king. And what does Herod want? Herod wants, oh, coming for the king, huh? Do I have a star over my head? Oh, wow. Frankincense, gold, and myrrh? Oh, no, you shouldn't have. Well, maybe you should have. Do you have anything else? That's what Herod the king wants. He wants all the glory, all the fame, all the power. And he cannot take any opposition or threat to that. And, and so why does he oppose and why does he slaughter? Um, well, look, look again at his attitude. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. And, and what we learn, then, is that opposition exists from those who do not get what they want. And isn't that true in the workplace? Why are there workplace squabbles? Because someone else got the project that the other one wanted. Or the position. Why do teens have a hard time getting along? Because you got the, the, the part in the play or, or the starting lineup or the boyfriend or the girlfriend. Or you have the Christmas present that I wanted that I didn't get. Right? All of these squabbles, why, why is there this baby in the middle of the aisles that we all know about? Because we're just not getting what we want. Now, now, friends, this has spiritual implications. I was telling you about the, the way of the world and, and Gen Z and, and how they don't have a biblical worldview. And I'm also um, compelled by the rise of atheism. Atheism is, again, the belief that there is no God. A and part of me wonders, what is the appeal of atheism? And I think there is an appeal. Because if there is no God, guess what I can do? Whatever I want. I can do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, and no one can tell me nothing if there is no God. And, and there's a part of every bit of us, every one of us, that may like that. 
I'm reminded of this poem uh, Invictus that says, It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. Seems like he might know the Bible. I am the master of my fate and the captain of my soul. And, and I, I think how many of us, according to our sinful nature, want to say the same thing. I want to be the master of my own fate. I want to call the shots. And so you know who doesn't want a king born in Bethlehem? It's not just Herod. It's the world. And unfortunately, it's even a part of us. Part of us that know as Christians, to be in Christ is to live a life of obedience. Not doing whatever we want, but doing what he wants. And that can be hard. And if our action is to rage against God, then the equal and opposite action would for him to be raging against us. But is the story of Christmas about the rage of God? No. And why have we gathered at a church called Amazing Love? Because we're convinced only of the rage of God? No. But because we're compelled, we're geeked out, we are thrilled by the mercy of God. Because in Jesus, we see someone who does life differently. We see an altogether different kind of king. Consider with me this king. Most kings come in and they live in palaces and they sit on thrones. And this king chooses a barn and is placed in a feeding trough called a manger. Most kings want to terrify other nations by a show of might whether it be tanks or troops or chariots. And this king comes in the form of a baby. Now, who's afraid of a baby? Most kings live saying, yes, you better give your service to me, your offerings to me. I better get rich and get mine. And what does this king do? He gives up all of his riches so that you and me who are, are poor, who are spiritually bankrupt, might ultimately become rich. This king, does he come to try to figure out the secret of getting everything he wants or does he come to give you and I everything we needed? You know the answer to that one. In fact, I love how Paul to the Philippian Christians says about this king and what he did. It says, who Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used as his own advantage. The one who is God said, I'm not going to lord that over anyone, even though he has the right to. That's a different way. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Dear friends, this king did it so differently than all the world. He showed us that through obedience, there is a path forward. And he got rid of the opposition. He got rid of the wrath of his father because he became sin's curse for us so that in him, we could be the loved children of God. That's what you are. I don't know if you're watching online or if you're just visiting Amazing Love. The most phenomenal truth we share is of a king who did it differently so that you could be loved, so that you could be forgiven, so that you could reign with him forever. But maybe it's not just his salvation he is proving the path for. He is also proving a path for life. Maybe he is charging us also to do things differently, not to think of the secret of giving everything we want, but but 
doing the secret of living like Jesus. And to talk about this, here, here's the next takeaway. I think we fight our own opposition through obedience to him. How do we fight opposition? We obey the Lord. In fact, that's what I love about uh, this story. Uh, Two times the angel shows up, tells Joseph what to do, and two times Joseph does it right away. In fact, look at your worship folders, verse 14. I love Joseph's obedience. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night. I love that he didn't delay. He's like, we got to do this now. And they left for Egypt. In this world, Just think about it from an earthly standpoint. If you have a company filled with employees, what is better when every employee comes to the boss's door, pounding down the door, uh, being bold and saying, this is what I want, what I deserve, or is a company better this way when employees just simply do what the company needs and does it right away, make haste? What about a household? What's better? The day when your child comes up boldly and says, I want this, give me this now! Or better when they go away and they say, Mom, you need me to do this or that, that'd be great. Yep, I get it. The world is better, not by us demanding and being bold for our wants, but putting our wants down and serving God by serving others. That's the way past opposition that Jesus paves for us. Obedience is that way forward. Look look at this verse from James that says, if you submit yourselves to God, if you obey, if you resist the devil, what will happen? It goes away. There's no fight here. They're just obedient. Nothing I can do here. They, they listen to a higher voice. But as we talk about this opposition, what I realize is that this world is still facing opposition for the Christian faith. If you've heard of ISIS and what is happening in, in countries like Nigeria and Egypt and Syria, there is still a threat in the world to the Christian faith and the light that we hold. In fact, I was learning a little bit about this uh, symbol in Arabic. Um, This is the equivalent of N in English, um, the Arabic nun. And it's what ISIS marks on the houses of Christians and the businesses of Christians. And the N stands for Nazarenes, that these are followers of Jesus the Nazarene. And it's a symbol for Christians of oppression, a symbol that terrifies And even though we might not face death for the faith here in the States, it is happening across this world. If you just do research on what's going on in China and India and in the Middle East, this is still a world raging against the light. But you know what's interesting? The confidence that Christians can have no matter how bad the opposition What's interesting is is our faith that compels us to believe that even though we might die, And Jesus warns us that he can raise us to the life that is truly life. Now, now first of all, uh, Jesus did warn us, you will be hated by everyone because of me. But if you stand firm to the end, you will be saved. So it's good for you to know, even if you're not facing that type of opposition, it could someday come and Jesus would still be worth it. But he knows how to, again, raise you so you don't need to be afraid. In in the early Christian church, um, at that time was Roman oppression. They used the Colosseum, um, and Nero and another Caesars would oppress the Christians. But one of the physicians attending the Christians in the Colosseum had this observation. Claudius Galenus had this to say, For fearlessness of death and the hereafter is something we witness in them, Christians, every day. 
Why? Why are Christians fearless of death? Because we have a God who conquered it. Why don't we need to be afraid no matter how bad the world rages against us? Because you are still held in the palm of your Heavenly Father who loves you more than you know. And so the next takeaway is this, that God, he secures his people and his plan no matter the opposition. No matter the opposition. I I love considering the plan. So God, who knew all of history, knew that one Herod would come that would lead him to Egypt and the other Herod would lead him to Nazareth and all of this would actually fulfill scripture. So it's not like he was disconcerted by what the Herods did. He had planned for this all along. And it kind of reminds me, I wonder how God might be using the opposition of your life to actually be your benefit. I consider maybe it is a workplace dynamic where they know you're Christian, they're kind of antagonistic against it, and it is that environment itself that creates the need for courage to confess Jesus. Or I wonder, maybe it's, it's someone who's dating and they're, they're trying to have Christian values as they pursue a spouse. Um, and, and when they get dumped, it is then that they learn that Christ is still worth it, Christ is enough, and he's the strength of your heart and your portion forever anyway. I wonder how many Christians trying to be a light in, in many different ways need opposition so that you learn what I believe is so God-glorifying, which is Persistence. Because if there's roadblocks to you serving and being a light, what persistence does is it breaks through. It says, God, you're still worth it. It's, it's like Rocky versus the Russian. It's like I get battered down, but, but what the roadblocks do is I just say, bring it on, bring it on, bring it I'm still here. I'm still being a light, and Jesus is still worth it no matter what. I think God can use the very opposition against us for our good. In fact, about that opposition, what I believe is that all who oppose us are just puppets and God is holding the string. You want to know what happened to Herod? We we read Psalm 2, which was pretty crazy about, like, the the Lord in heaven scoffs and laughs. Have you ever heard that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord? So if you are disconcerted about all those babies dying, do you think the God who created all life was disconcerted? Do you think he maybe loves kids more than you do? I do. Do you think he's more just than you are? I do. And and what does he do? You need to know how Herod's life uh, ends. Uh, This is what I read in a commentary. Herod died of a peculiar, loathsome disease which caused his flesh to decay upon his bones, rendering him an abhorrent carcass. That's what God can do to anyone who opposes him. In fact, some uh, call it Herod's evil. That was the disease because it was just that bad. Does God know how to be just, protect? Does God know how to get his way no matter the, absolutely he does. And that's not just world leaders, it is also the enemies that confront us spiritually. Uh, Let me tell you about the devil. The the one thing that's different about Newton's law, remember that for every action there's an equal and opposite. The only difference is that for the devil's action, it's not equal and opposite. God is so far superior When God goes against the devil, it is not like the light and the dark force. Rather, it's like Mike Tyson getting in a a cage with like a scrawny, less than 100-pound teenager, right? But like times a 1,000. This is God versus every opposition that we face and also our enemy, the devil. 
a while back, we did a sermon series on Job. And Job's story is pretty phenomenal. Job knew what it was like to face opposition. But what I found is that the devil needed permission to oppose. In fact, it was God who said, you can only go so far. In Job, it says this, the Lord said very well then, everything he has in your, your power, but the man himself, don't lay a finger. God was the one saying, you can only go this far. I, I'm reminded of Peter, and, 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 and Jesus told Peter, you know, Satan has wanted to sift you. He, he, he's wanted to, again, attack you and destroy you. But, but I have prayed for you, Peter, that you will not fall. And that's that same God who shields us by his spirit. That same God who says nothing can separate, whether life or death, angels or demons, the present or the future, nothing can separate us from the love of God. When you are in Christ, no matter what opposes you, is just a puppet on God's string. Now why might he let those things happen? I don't know. I don't have those answers. Maybe to strengthen you. But that he's securing you, that he still has plans for you, that is true. So may God so bless you to know that no matter what opposes, you are secure in him. No matter the darkness of the world, the light will overcome it. Amen.